0: Witness Docs, from Stitcher.
2: Just a note before we start, this episode discusses some heavy stuff, like underage marriage and sexual abuse.
3: I was 14 years old when I was told that that I was to be married. And at some point in my life, I knew that I was going to be married because that was the only path that I got as a woman. And I really did want it, but just not at 14. And Warren was the one that told me that I needed to move forward with this marriage because if I didn't, then I was no longer welcome in the community. And I found myself driving with my future husband and his family and my mother and Warren Jeffs and his posse of religious leaders to a dingy hotel where I was married to my first cousin inside of a hotel room. There was this moment where my mom stood up and took my hand because they couldn't get me to say I do. They couldn't get me to agree to this marriage. And she stood up and held my hand and just gripped it. And I had this overwhelming realization that it wasn't just my salvation hanging in the balance it was hers and it was my little sister's and it was my older sister's it was my entire family and that we would all go to hell if i chose to fight this any longer
0: that day in the hotel elisa wall chose not to send her entire family to hell at age 14 she was married
2: Elisa Wall holds someone responsible for her underage marriage, Warren Jeffs. Warren Jeffs is the leader, the prophet, of the Fundamentalist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints,
0: or FLDS. The FLDS Church is a break-off of the Mormon Church. The split dates back to the early 1900s, when the mainstream church banned polygamy. Some people refused to give up the practice, and for decades, Polygamous families were harassed and even thrown in jail. So in the 1930s, these fundamentalist Mormons fled to the Utah-Arizona border, where they founded a new community, a community called Short Creek. You drive in and you see these gigantic, craggy, red rock cliffs just like towering over the town with some like blue sky
2: It's one of the most beautiful picturesque things I've ever seen. But I feel like on certain days or like if you get there right at dusk, it actually can look a little bit foreboding too. It
0: definitely makes this place look like a fortress, kind of, and then there's
2: the... Short Creek is in the middle of nowhere. And for early fundamentalists, that made it an ideal refuge, a place to practice their religion in peace.
0: As you drive down the road, there's like a lot of really large houses and a lot of homes in this area are like this, kind of half-finished, behind really large walls.
2: How tall do you think that wall is? Like six and a half feet? It's like ten feet. Oh,
0: wow. Honestly, if you were to drive through Short Creek by accident, and you knew nothing about the F.L.E.S. or Elisa Wall or Warren Jess, you'd look around and just know something was up. Short Creek just has a feeling about it that's unlike any other place you've ever been before.
2: All right, so now we're coming to the western edge of town. Um, We are now just about at the state line. And then my favorite marker of the state line is actually the border store right here. So it's just a little gas station that sits right on the border. Short Creek is actually two towns split by a state line. There's Hilldale in Utah, and Colorado City in Arizona.
0: So right now, we just passed from Arizona Welcome into Utah. Welcome Utah. <laughs> Doesn't it feel better, Sarah? Oh, uh, It feels so much worse. in Utah? The sunsets just got uglier. This is the place. <laughs> this feels like a good moment to introduce ourselves. I'm Ash Sanders, and if it's not obvious, I grew up a proud Utahan. And I'm Sarah
2: Ventry. I'm an even prouder Arizonan. But we're not on the border of our two home states driving together in my Prius to have a state off. We're here in Short Creek because we want to tell a story about this place from this place. So as we cross Arizona Avenue, we come actually to the creek bed.
0: Yeah, this is what this town is named for. So there's this creek or a creek for all you people who don't live here that flows down. Most locals call Short Creek the Crick, and they call themselves Crickers.
2: We just passed Cook Avenue, and the only reason I mention that is because most of the streets in town are named after families who have lived here for several generations. So there's a Johnson Avenue, a Cook Avenue. What are some of the other big ones? Like Jessup. Isn't there a
0: Barlow? Mm -hmm. For decades, Short Creek was a church town. Almost everyone who lived here was fundamentalist and the church taught some pretty extreme views. Women were told to be submissive to their husbands and fathers. Black people were considered cursed, and being gay was a mortal sin. All the power in the community was in the hands of white men. They ran the church, and the church ran everything. The school, the government, city services, everything. For the faithful, this system worked. And they continued
2: to build God's kingdom together. But as the community grew, the rest of the world took notice of Short Creek. On the right is the old schoolhouse. This is actually where in 1953, when the community was raided, a number of people from the community got together and held hands and sang
0: songs. Right, and they all kind of expected that the government would come in and tear their families apart or send them to jail since polygamy is illegal.
2: Any attempt to break up the community seemed to have the reverse effect. It made the FLDS people more united, more faithful, more certain the outside world was the enemy.
0: In the end, though, the greatest threat to this community did not come from the outside. So this is Warren Jeff's mansion-looking thing, a very, very large house surrounded by huge, like, probably like 15-foot tall, like thick concrete walls.
1: Simply believe the words of the prophet and faith starts to grow.
0: Everything is done. Warren Jeffs became the FLDS prophet in 2002, and he started making changes that tore Short Creek apart. He doubled down on the church's prejudiced doctrines and practices, causing the Southern Poverty Law Center to name the FLDS a hate group while Warren Jeffs was prophet. He also ratcheted up the church's strict religious rules, and those who wouldn't obey had to go. Thousands
2: of people left or were kicked out of the church. This community that was once so united was suddenly divided. What Warren Jeffs did is he
1: killed the people's souls. He's still my prophet, and I love him.
2: The guy had used all that love and loyalty and used it to exploit little girls. Warren Jeffs has
3: had a lot of lies told about him.
2: Okay, on the right is my temporary home, the Zion Suites of Hildale, and it used to be Prophet Rulon Jeffs' house. Rulon Jeffs, that's R-U-L-O-N, was the prophet before his son, Warren. When Ruin died, he had over 60 wives.
0: So it's like this big, sprawling brick building. There's like room after room after room after room that was for different wives and different kids. So like really easy to turn into a hotel.
2: As divided as Short Creek might be, almost everyone agrees on one thing. The media rarely gets the story right. People in the community see reporters dropping in, asking questions about polygamy, and
0: not taking the time to understand the people or the faith. And that makes most FLDS really hesitant to talk to journalists. Which is why together, Sarah and I have reported on this community for four and a half years. We've spent a lot of time in Short Creek, getting to know the people and the place. And last summer, Sarah actually embedded in Short Creek, She lived there for three months. I rented a room in the house
2: of the former prophet. I bought fresh cheese from the local dairy, and I got my own water from pumps that draw straight from the canyon. It's really hard to fill a five-gallon bucket of water while recording. I went to a fundamentalist church with plural families, to a barbecue with ex-believers, and to a different barbecue with those who still believe. I searched all over for good coffee and spicy food. Day after day, I lived here, in the community, forging relationships so we could hear from voices on all sides.
1: Oh, let's just get along. Really? Let's see, you took all our businesses. They've taken most of our schools.
0: How far does freedom of religion go? The federal courts had to come in here and straighten it all out.
2: Do you feel like your church was discriminated against through that trial? Yes, I do. In order for him to have complete control of people, he had to capitalize
1: on their fears. When Uncle Warren came along, it was more emphasized, live your religion. Welcome to America. It is no longer the Wild Wild West. Shore
0: Creek is a community divided by much more than a state line. It's divided into believers and ex-believers who disagree about almost everything. Religion, democracy, and who gets to call this place home. Shore Creek has a lot of unfinished business, which in many ways looks like America's unfinished business. In this season, we'll
2: hear stories from many people. But we'll start with a woman whose story takes us into the heart of this community's complicated history. A woman who helps us understand how this place became so divided, and whose decision to challenge Warren Jeffs changed the future of Short Creek.
0: Hi, Lisa. Um, is your house the one with the white Tahoe in front?
3: Short Creek isn't just a story. It's people. It's resilience. It's a narrative that is far bigger than just Warren Jeffs or Short Creek. It
0: really is a part of humanity on a larger scale. From Witness Docs and Critical Frequency, you're listening to Unfinished Short Creek. This is Episode 1, The Why Child. Good. Elisa Wall lives in a small house on an unpaved road right next to Short Creek's towering red rock cliffs. Inside, it's warm and buzzing with life. A friend stops by, and a dog wanders in. Her kids get home from school.
3: Hey, guys. So, I'm right in the middle of an interview. Do you think you could just The
0: place feels like home. But Elisa Wall's story doesn't actually begin in Short Creek. It starts 300 miles north.
3: Salt Lake City
0: the headquarters of the mainstream LDS, or Mormon, church. The church's full name is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But in this show, to avoid confusion, we're just going to refer to it as the Mormon Church.
1: Majestically situated on a rolling slope,
0: Utah's magnificent granite capital is a fitting... Back when Elisa was born in 1986, there was a large fundamentalist community in Salt Lake. I grew up in Salt Lake, too, but I was raised mainstream Mormon, Elisa and I lived in totally different worlds. Would you interact with your neighbors much? We were always kind
3: and respectful, and we would wave. But we weren't allowed to be friends with neighbors. We cut to ourselves. Why did you stay separate? They were Gentiles. And from our earliest conception, there was always this idea that the outside world was out to get us. Wanting to persecute us, wanting to take away our lifestyle, our religious beliefs.
2: It was always us versus them. Elisa Wall's father had three wives, and Elisa was constantly worried that he might get sent to jail, that her family would be taken away. For the FLDS living in Salt Lake, the safest place to gather was at the home of the prophet, Rulin Jeffs.
0: In preparing to redeem Zion, keep sweet,
2: no matter what. We all know what that means.
3: They had renovated a big home on their Jeffs compound in Little Cottonwood Canyon. The whole bottom floor was a big meeting hall. And then they used the upstairs and the basement for the school.
2: Elisa's school was Alta Academy, a small private FLDS institution run by Rulin Jeffs' son. Warren Jeffs was the principal.
0: Good morning, everyone.
2: Warren Jeffs the same man who would later force Elisa to marry at age 14.
0: I always like to see the front seats filled first.
2: This is a recording of Warren at Alta Academy.
0: Sure a privilege to be here in our prophet's home.
3: It was just very natural and it was very normal to have him be very much in charge of my life.
2: This was all happening in the early 1990s. Warren wasn't running the FLDS outright yet, but at Alta Academy, he was doing something almost as powerful. He was shaping a new generation of FLDS believers.
1: Those who believe and follow the words of the prophet Joseph Smith will be saved. And those who do not believe and follow the words of Joseph Smith will be damned or destroyed.
2: Elisa says that sometimes Warren held religion class three times a day. These lessons were urgent because according to FLDS belief, sometime very soon, Jesus would return and punish the wicked.
1: We live in the time of the great destruction. Terrible storms, terrible diseases, all according to prophecy.
3: There was many stories of fire and brimstone and how it would fill and be like to have your souls ripped into shreds as you atoned for all the sins and all the different things that you had done. Lots of graphic detail, too much for children. (laughs)
1: A desolating sickness will cover the land. It will seem to be like a heart attack. Our people will just die by the thousands.
3: You know, if there was an earthquake in Japan or California, it was used as, Oh, see, the Lord is sending the destructions. These are just warning signs.
0: And that's what our Heavenly Father has done. You
3: know, the Lord's given you a little bit more time. He's
0: given us time to get ready.
3: To be a
2: little bit better so that you can be lifted up. These ideas about the end times terrified Elisa. At the same time, she received really clear instructions on how to avoid eternal damnation. Be obedient as though you could be led by a hare,
3: and any resistance will snap
2: the hair. Warren had a saying at Alta Academy, perfect obedience produces perfect faith. I believed that my salvation hinged on
3: my dedication to my religion and my fervency and my belief in the prophet. And there was these core concepts that were pounded into me as a child that I I definitely followed and believed in.
0: What were those?
3: The idea that I was a woman and I would have to be connected to a priesthood man. I would have to be married to him to go to heaven.
2: A priesthood man. Priesthood is a word you hear a lot in the FLDS. It's basically a direct connection to God in this life and the next, and it's only given to men. Women get this connection through their fathers or their husbands.
1: April 3rd, 1998, home economics class. I'll tell you how it is in celestial plural marriage here in mortality. You have to become as a little child, humble and submissive, and then the ways and habits of that husband and of that family.
3: My role in life was to be a part of a man's kingdom and to have many, many children, as many as God would gift me. This idea that my afterlife, my salvation, was the ultimate And I was willing to sacrifice and go through whatever I needed to in this life for this afterlife that everyone talked about. And the fear of this afterlife, the fear that I could do anything wrong and it would all be taken from me. And it was always dangled over our heads like a carrot, but also like like an axe waiting to fall on us. I can recall being brought into his office because I wore a necklace to school one day and jewelry was not appropriate and you know, being reprimanded about how we don't partake of Gentile things. It was very palpable, the power that he held, You know, the ability to take that off of me, physically take the necklace off of me and put it in the garbage and know that there was nothing I could do
0: about it. Questioning the FLDS Church had consequences, and Elisa was about to learn that three times over in a series of events that would change her life forever. That's coming up after the break. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is time. I stole my word. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13.
1: A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it.
2: Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Before we get back to the show, there's two quick things I want to tell you about. First, we're working on a bonus episode where Ash and I will respond to your questions and comments. Send them to unfinished at stitcher.com. Is there something in the show you want to know more about? Is there a moment that resonates with you? Let us know. We'd love to hear your voice. So if you can, email us a voice memo. Regular emails are also great, though. Send them to unfinished at stitcher.com. And the second thing, if you don't want to wait for the weekly release of Unfinished Short Creek, you can binge all the episodes of this season right now, only on Stitcher Premium. As a premium listener, you also get ad-free listening to all Stitcher and Earwolf shows. Plus, you play a key role in supporting the kind of reporting it takes to make this show. Just go to stitcherpremium.com or the premium tab in your Stitcher app and sign up with the code WITNESS for a free month of premium listening. You'll get to hear all 10 episodes of Unfinished Short Creek right now, ad-free. That's stitcherpremium.com. Promo code WITNESS for a free month of Stitcher Premium.
3: There was an, a time in my family where there was a lot of unrest, and it was very difficult. My, my father and his first wife...
0: For people who've never lived in Short Creek, the story that Elisa Wall is about to share might sound extreme, but it's important to know that for many people in the community, Elisa's story hits close to home. She's one of many who faced desperate dilemmas and impossible choices under Warren Jeffs. For Elisa, the first dilemma began when her older brother Jared started asking too many questions. I remember
3: um, my father and my brother had gotten into a fight. It had turned loud and it had turned physical. I remember hiding under my bed and because I wanted to just get away from the yelling, the screaming, and all of the tension. And the next morning I woke up and my mother was just very, very, very heartbroken. Um, we were told that Jared was leaving. My father, with the pressure of the church, decided that my brother needed to be kicked out. And for a young FLDS girl, anyone that chooses out of the FLDS is automatically dumbing themselves to hell is automatically choosing to be an apostate.
0: Jared was now an apostate, someone who left the faith. Elisa and her family believed that when Jesus came back, Jared would be among the wicked. He would be destroyed. In the FLDS, being an apostate is one of the worst things you can be. It's like wearing a big scarlet letter around. FLDS are taught to leave apostates alone severely, To never speak to or about them ever again. Once you kind of cross that
3: bridge, there's no coming back. And we knew that my brother would no longer be a part of the family. He would never be in heaven. He would never be lifted up. (laughs) To be loaded up in a vehicle with my mother, my brother, and a few of her youngest children and to go on this drive and you could just watch as my mom every mile, every foot driving in this, this car was just a knife in her heart. She dropped her son off on the side of the road and we said goodbye and, he, and we drove off and he walked away. To have that moment of looking up at my mother and just seeing the most intense pain and an emotion that I didn't quite understand until I became a mother myself, and it really solidified the realization that my mother had no control of her own life, and she had no control of her children's life, and in, in essence, it planted that seed deep in myself
0: that... That was my future. That was my fate. Was that conscious, or did you kind of back of the brain it and keep going faithfully?
3: It was the back of the brain. Everyone in the FLDS had this saying that said, put it on the shelf. And this, this saying was just this, this subtle and not subtle reminder that questions are not allowed. If it doesn't make sense, you don't have the right to ask it. Put it on the shelf, and it will all be sorted out in heaven. I grew up Mormon,
0: and we had the shelf Thing. The shelf. Yeah. The dang shelf. At a certain point, there were a lot of things on that <laughs> shelf and I think it just broke. So. <laughs> it, it does. And that's the process. That shelf breaks. Elisa's shelf hadn't broken. Yet. But her brother Jared getting kicked out left her with a lot of heavy questions. She didn't know what would happen to him or exactly why he had to leave. After Jared was kicked out, Elisa didn't have much time to grieve before a second big change upended her life.
3: Without much information at all, we were loaded into vehicles in the middle of the night. We were driven down into Short Creek and told that my father was no longer my father. His family was being taken away.
2: In the FLDS, the prophet could declare that a man was unworthy, It meant that he wasn't righteous, and he immediately lost his role as head of the family. The prophet didn't even have to say why. So Elisa, her siblings, and her mother were reassigned to a new father, Fred Jessup, a church leader in Short Creek.
3: Fred never had any of his own children, but he had about 60 kids when I moved into his home, and 20-plus wives. It was hard to be thrown into a new family with lots of young girls and a new school, but more than anything to be expected to forget my father, and now call this new man my father. You know, it was, it was such an intense belief they had that even your very DNA would shift to match that of this new man who was your father and priesthood head. I had reached a point where I was the why child. Why, why, why is this happening? And it, I would get on my mother's nerves because I wanted answers.
2: Well, the clock is ticking towards the new millennium. There's just a million minutes to the year 2000, not long. When Elisa and her family moved out of Salt Lake, they weren't alone. They were part of a mass exodus of FLDS to Short Creek, orchestrated by Rulin and Warren Jeffs. The Jeffs had been prophesying that the new millennium would usher in the second coming, along with the great destructions. To prepare, they were gathering their followers in Short Creek.
1: And it is your day today
0: to prepare yourselves to meet God. This can only be accomplished through the cleansing of our thinking and of our general living.
2: Elisa questioned her family's move and she questioned the church reassigning her to a new father. But with the second coming just around the corner, she felt a lot of pressure to stay righteous.
3: Did you worry that you weren't worthy? Every day. There was no room for ever being good enough. You were never good enough as is. You were always reaching for something that was absolutely unattainable. And so everyone, it didn't matter who or what they were, unless you were Warren Jeffs or Roland Jeffs themselves, you always questioned whether you were going to be good enough.
0: When the millennium finally came, the destructions didn't. No floods, no fires. The world did not end. But a year later, Elisa Walls sort of did. Her new father, Fred Jessup, delivered some shocking news. It came much earlier
3: in my life than I had anticipated. I was 14 years old when I was told that that I was to be married. I also learned that I was to be married to my first cousin
0: who was older than myself, quite a bit older. Elisa's cousin, Alan Steed, was 19 years old. Um, I was afraid.
3: I was very much afraid. I didn't want to be married, and I spent every amount of energy and time and effort to stop that marriage.
0: Elisa had always put her questions on the shelf, but this time she couldn't. She pleaded with her mother and her new father to intervene. When that didn't work, the Y child took her questions to the top. I found myself kneeling at Rul Jeff's feet,
3: begging him to just give me two years. I just wanted two years to grow up. I wanted to be 16. And if, if I couldn't be given that, then I just wanted to marry anybody else, anyone in the world besides the man who they had chosen for me to marry. And um, it became a difficult thing for the church leaders to, to handle, because nobody questioned. And I was questioning everything. I was questioning why I needed to be married. I was questioning who I needed to be married to. And I was questioning the prophet's will
0: at its core. And therefore, they believed I was questioning God. Rulon Jeffs seemed to listen to Elisa. She remembers that the 90-year-old prophet patted her on the hand and said, follow your heart, sweetie. For a moment, Elisa felt a glimmer of relief. But then Warren led her out of the
3: room. Warren told me that my heart was in the wrong place, that I needed to move forward with this marriage, and that if I didn't, then I was no longer welcome in the community. I was no longer welcome in Fred's home. And that was terrifying to realize that my options were I either be married or I no longer have a family or a community. Elisa's
2: wedding was scheduled for the next day.
3: I spent all night long working with my mother and she had diligently worked to create this beautiful white wedding dress. You know, hand-stitched appliqués and lace. This was an important step in the FLDS for the mother-daughter connections to to realize that you got to build her dress with her and and watch her as she took that that next step in her life and um it was horrible to watch as they worked so hard on this dress and to just look at it as it was my death sentence. I wanted to die. I truly wanted to die. I wanted to go to bed and never wake up.
2: Elisa didn't sleep at all. She and her mother were up until 6 a.m. finishing her dress. And then they got in the car and left.
3: And I found myself driving with my future husband and his family and my mother and Warren Jeffs and his posse of religious leaders to a dingy hotel in Caliente, Nevada.
2: This hotel was owned by a church leader, and it was two and a half hours from Short Creek. So even if Elisa had tried to run away, there would have been nowhere to go. Ruland Jeffs was in the room. But Warren was the one who presided over the ceremony. When Warren asked Elisa if she took Alan for time and all eternity, she was silent.
3: They couldn't get me to say I do. They couldn't get me to agree to this marriage. Warren asked Elisa's mother to take her hand. She stood up and held my hand and just gripped it. And I had this overwhelming realization that it wasn't just my salvation hanging in the balance. It was hers, and it was my little sister's, and it was my older sister's. It was my entire family. And that, that pressure and that realization that we would all go to hell if I chose to fight this any longer.
2: Warren asked her again, do you take Alan to be your husband? And again, silence. There came
3: a point where tears streaming down my face I broke. I said, OK. And I was now the property of this, this cousin of mine. I was now married to him. I was, I was his, his wife. And I would be that way for time and all eternity.
2: When Elisa left her home in Short Creek, her room had two single beds in it, one for her and one for her sister. But when she came back from her wedding, There was just one bed in the room, a queen-sized bed decorated with a heart.
3: I went from being a child, I was 14, I was, I was a child, and then the next day I was, I was an adult and I was expected to hold the responsibilities of an adult and a wife, which meant having children. It meant being submissive to my husband. It meant being a perfect mother and, you know, all the things that were predetermined for me as a child of the FLDS. I was married to my first cousin for about three and a half years. You know, he was very emotionally, sexually, physically abusive. And um, I had had multiple miscarriages, stillbirth, and that was
0: a horrible three and a half years. During those years, Rulon died, and Warren became the prophet. And when Elisa went to Warren and told him about the abuse, he didn't release her from her marriage. Warren told her that Alan was her priesthood head. And she was to submit to him, quote, mind, body, and soul. Instead, Elisa stopped talking to Alan. She worked multiple jobs and spent more time at her mom and sister's place. Anything to get away from her husband. I would take the truck that I was allowed to use at the time,
3: and I would drive out into the Arizona Strip, and I would just sleep in my truck. I learned that I needed to go further and further out because if I was found by the local police, they would just take me home and drop me off. And that was my way of protecting myself. At the age of 18, I had reached a point where there was no hell on earth or in heaven that was threatening because the hell that I was in was worse than anything I could even conceive.
0: Elisa started spending time with another man in town, Lamont Barlow. She found him kind and empathetic. Meanwhile, Alan was mortified by Elisa's behavior. In the eyes of the church, he wasn't keeping his wife in line. So when he found a picture of Elisa and Lamont together, he took it straight to church leadership. I found myself in a
3: room having a teleconference with Warren Jeffs and my priesthood husband Alan. You know, there's a phone on the table, and Warren's voice is coming out of the phone, and I'm in the hot seat because this is, this is a trial, really. This is laying out all of the dirty deeds of Elisa and all of the ways in which she's being rebellious and all the ways in which she's not doing what she's told and not being righteous, but really, it boiled down to they believed that I had, um, that I had committed adultery.
0: When Warren asked if Elisa and Lamont Barlow had been intimate, she didn't answer. At that moment, she was pregnant with Lamont's child. But Warren didn't know that. Still, he took her silence as confirmation.
3: There was a moment where Warren was speaking directly to Alan and he said, job well done. And that was Warren's way of telling Alan that he had faithfully fulfilled the test of being married to me, that it had been a test, and he had been faithful, and he had proven himself worthy. And that was the first time in my life where what people describe as seeing red, where their whole world view just shifts, and it kind of tilts, because I remember thinking, how could any God in heaven or on earth ever look at someone like that and say, job well done?
0: Warren didn't care that Alan had forced sex on Elisa, but he did care that Elisa had been unfaithful. So instead of granting Elisa a release from her marriage, Warren granted a release to Alan. Elisa hadn't gotten justice, but she had gotten her freedom. Then Warren explained some conditions. I was told I would not have the
3: opportunity to see my mother or my sister's. And for about a year leading up to this, that was the only thing that had kept me alive. So that was, that was effectively
0: as telling me to go commit suicide. Elisa knew that if she stayed, her sisters would look away if she passed them on the street, or her mother might ignore her in the grocery store. I realized that there was no reason for me
3: to stay. I had access to a phone and I called Lamont and I just said, let's go.
0: And I just left in the middle of the night. Elisa barely took anything, but she did take a photograph of her sisters. Do you remember what you felt like leaving that night, driving away? (laughs) I do remember that there was a deep sense of relief. And,
3: you know, watching the lights of the town fade away in the back window and seeing everything that I knew, everything that I truly knew about my life was behind me and not knowing really what I was going into and so it was kind of this feeling of jumping across the Grand Canyon but it's foggy so you really have no idea what you're jumping into.
2: Elisa was only 18 when she left Short Creek. Her whole life, she'd been told the outside world was wicked. But when she got there, she didn't find it wicked. She found it confusing. You know, learning how to dress,
3: learning how to go to the grocery store, learning how to get a job, learning how to set up a bank account, and then makeup and hair and, you know, all the things that a lot of women grow up with every single day, I had to learn at 18 on a crash course with, with no help.
0: Bit by bit, Elisa and Lamont figured out how to survive on the outside. They found jobs, a place to live, and Elisa gave birth to their first child. Elisa thought she'd left Short Creek for good. She didn't want
2: anything to do with the FLDS or Warren Jeffs ever again. But there was one thing about Short Creek she did miss. Her family. I had this picture of my two younger sisters that was on my desk, and I took it everywhere I went. Elisa hadn't been gone long when she got some terrible news. Her two younger sisters had gone missing from Short Creek. She was scared they'd been taken to
0: another FLDS community to be married. So Elisa did something she'd been taught never to do. She went to the police and told them about her marriage, which helped them take Warren Jeffs to court
1: calls elisa wall all right miss wall would you please come forward and have a seat here on the witness stand
0: elisa found herself eye to eye with her former prophet in her mind there was no question why she was there
3: my younger sister is 15 or 16 right now and then i have one just younger than her that's probably around 13. you have any concern oh i like so much. I fear for them every day, and it is my worst nightmare. My sisters will go through what I went through because they have no choice. And that's why I'm here today, is to change that for them.
0: Elisa Wall's story captures so much of what has happened to Shore Creek in the last few decades. The rise and fall of Warren Jeffs, the separating of families, and the fracturing of an entire community. Elisa's choice to stand up to Warren Jeffs was a catalyst for huge changes in this small town. Changes that made her a hero to some, and an enemy to others.
2: We'll hear more about the trial and what happened to Elisa Wall later in the season. But we're also going to hear from a lot of other people in Short Creek, people on all sides of the divide, as they reckon with the community's past and struggle to define its future. That's coming up on this season of Unfinished Short Creek.
0: Unfinished Short Creek is a co-production of Witness Docs and Critical Frequency. Our team includes... Amy Westervelt.
2: John Delore.
0: Abigail Keel. Sarah Ventry.
2: Peter Clowney.
0: And me, Ash Sanders. Chris Bannon is Stitcher's Chief Content Officer.
2: Our fact-checker is Naomi Lachance. Our production assistant in Short Creek is
0: Araya Hammond. Our original score was composed and performed by Allison leighton Brown with Ollie Samland on pedal steel and Dan Bradigan on trumpet. This episode includes
2: audio from the trial of Warren Jeffs, which came to us from Howard Berkus, who covered Short Creek for many years at NPR.
0: We know that today's episode dealt with some difficult topics. If you or someone you know has experienced assault or sexual or domestic violence, please reach out. You can contact Rain at r-a-i-n-n or at 800-656-HOPE.